This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Usha Iyer, a scholar of cinema, performance, and gender studies. This episode is about dancing stars in Indian cinema. Spectacular dance sequences are one of the most recognizable elements of Indian cinema, and female dancers are the biggest stars. Although some critics view dance sequences as just interruptions that don't push the story forward, Usha Iyer argues that distracting from the story is actually a good thing. Whereas the stories are typically marriage plots in which women give up their independence, focusing on women's dancing allows us to recognize the power and skill not only of the characters, but also of the dancer-actresses who have shaped these films behind the scenes. Usha Aya, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So we are going to talk about dancing stars in Indian film. And um, I guess a first general question that I have is within Indian cinema, um, what role does dancing play in those films? Right. So most people across the world, when they think about Indian cinema or Bollywood, they think about song and dance sequences, big yeah, budget spectacular. Yeah, I've seen clips on YouTube. Um, yeah. Right. And so dance is a really visible marker, identifier of this popular cinema. So I was interested in thinking about what dance does in terms of narrative. What's the place of dance in the narrative? Yeah. I mean, so could you explain a little bit more so how do these dance sequences relate to narrative? I guess maybe also just what what do you mean by narrative? Right. Um, So there's narrative, the linear narrative, which is telling a story from beginning to middle to end. So you could summarize the plot of a film along its main narrative plot points. So like what the characters are doing, goals they have, etc. Absolutely. And typically in mainstream cinema across the world, it's boy meets girl. They fall in love. There are obstacles to their coming together and then they come together. So there's narrative and there's spectacle. Spectacle is what is an excess of the linear narrative. The musical numbers or long choreographed extended action sequences, these were always thought of as extra narrative spectacles. They were outside of the framework necessarily of the narrative. I see. So they're kind of, they're excessive because they're not contributing directly to Mm -hmm. telling the story. It's just something that's sort of spectacular, like spectacular dancing, spectacular violence. Um, Or comic side plots that have nothing to do with the main narrative. And this is particularly a marker of popular Indian cinema. So like those song and dance routines don't necessarily kind of, they're not justified by developing the plot, Mm -hmm. the storyline. They're just there for kind of visual spectacle. Right. Would you like some tea, by the way? Sure. Thank you. So um, what role have specific dancers played in shaping the films that they're in? So there have been dancers who've been well-known in popular Indian film, and not very surprisingly, they've been women. Uh, Actually, Mm -hmm. surprisingly, for those who work on the Hollywood musical, 
most of the studies of dance in the Hollywood musical have focused on Fred Astaire or Gene Kelly, the big male dancing star. Uh, but in popular Indian cinema, it was mainly women who were dancing stars. Okay, so they were the bigger stars than the men they were dancing with. Right. So while dancer actresses were not considered serious actors initially, a lot of them were thought of as just kind of the great dancers, but they don't really know how to act. I am arguing that in their dancing, they reframe what we think of as good acting and they've changed the way the narrative itself works so that it becomes more about a celebration of the moving body rather than moments of psychological complexity. So we go to the movies for different kinds of pleasures when we go to watch dancer actors. That's Yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, these, these dancer performers kind of force us to reevaluate what we think of as good acting. Right. We've often thought of restraint as a good quality for actors to have. Yeah, like of, su- it's subtle or right. kind of, yeah, restrained, not, mm-hmm. not being over the top. Right. So often the dancer-actresses that I'm studying were not thought of as great actors. Because they didn't come across as restrained? Yes. An actress from the 1950s and 60s, Vaijanti Mala, is a prime example of this. She was trained in the classical dance of Bharatnatyam. And so when she came to the movies, everyone said, oh, she's a great dancer, but she's not a good actress. She doesn't have the restraint, nuanced subtlety that a good actor needs to have. And so she had to eventually act in films where her dancing was pushed back in order to prove that she could do well just as an actress as well. So within the narrative, she plays these kinds of courtesans um, in films in the 50s uh, who then give up dancing in order to become respectable women. So both within the narrative and outside, extra narratively, she had to restrain her dancing body, which was... I see. Yeah, so the film itself has as a kind of theme this woman giving up dancing to kind of be taken seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Um, So her films from 1951 to 1955 were treated as just light comedies. And most people don't take them seriously as films. But in 1955, she does a big film, Devdas, with an important filmmaker, Bimal Roy. It's a big budget film that also has art house respectability. So from then on, she's treated as a more serious actress. But within the film, she plays a courtesan who gives up dancing out of her love for the male protagonist. I'm interested in these other dance films where her male co-actor is Kishore Kumar, who is a comic actor who also dances a lot, but not skillfully like she does. Kishore Kumar is often cross-dressed as a woman and as children. So it kind of shifts all of the codes of masculinity that are usually performed in these films. Which means then that the narrative of heterosexual coupling also significantly shifts. So when Vaijanti Mala plays the female protagonist alongside these kind of comic male figures, she doesn't have to give up dancing within the narrative. Okay, so the story is not about her um, getting together with a man and giving up dancing to become respectable. There is that kind of heterosexual coupling, but it weakens so much under the weight of these two performers who, Mm. you know, one is all about the dancing. So she's only interested in the dance numbers. The other is interested in his comic subplots and in his dancing that sometimes the films completely forget that they're about love triangles. And, you know, they hastily tie up loose ends at the end of the film. That's why some spectators are frustrated and call these bad films. And I love them because 
the coupling is completely thrown by the wayside. Yeah, well, that's so interesting because earlier on you were saying, you know, like um, these dance sequences typically don't contribute to the narrative. They don't forward the plot. Mm -hmm. And so it sounds like here it's almost like they sort of um, are like uh, impeding the kind of heterosexual coupling that ultimately happens in a very kind of like hasty way. Right. But actually then the enjoyment of the film is not at all about that plot that's mm-hmm. building towards that end point, but actually about, well, something else. Yes. Like enjoying the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this has been referred to in scholarship as the cinema of interruptions. Often scholars would assume spectators are there for narrative pleasures. And scholars would say, oh, during the song and dance sequence, many spectators will just step out for a snack or a smoke. I am arguing that people come back for repeat viewings. And now with YouTube, these moments can be disaggregated and produce their own repeat pleasures. Once we know how a story works out, we rarely return to find out how the story develops. We return for these interruptions. Yeah, right. Like when you revisit a story, knowing where it's ended up, there's not the same kind of urgency Mm -hmm. or like wanting to know what what happens next. Right. The discussion we were just (laughs) having with Michaela Brunstein. Mm Um, it's a very different mode of spectatorship as well. Yeah. I mean, I know I've watched some Indian films, but not ones with song and dance Mm -hmm. routines, but I have seen various song and dance routines from Indian films, but on YouTube just accepted, you know, a single song at a time. Mm -hmm. So is there a way that those little pieces of the film kind of, um, are created with kind of repeated viewers in mind? Absolutely. So Classical Hollywood had this kind of serialized mode of production. So you write the screenplay, it then moves to the next department, to the next department, scenario production, storyboard production, costumes get decided. But the screenplay, the script remains the central defining document that moves through these departments. In popular Indian cinema, when you decide to make a film, you first decide who the stars of the film are, more even than the director. Often there are stories about how the script would get written on set on the day of shooting. But on the other hand, the music composer and the dance choreographer would be decided early on. I mean, that really kind of goes to prove your point, right? That like these films aren't so much about the narrative or the kind of plot progression, but about the skill and spectacle of the dance sequences, Mm -hmm. the music and the dancers working together. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'm really intrigued by this idea that some of these parts of films that might seem to be the kind of like trivial ones because they don't contribute to the plot actually might be to some viewers at least the most artistically valuable, just the most pleasurable and satisfying. Um, and, And that idea that like there's a way in which actually taking pleasure in those scenes is also a way of maybe kind of resisting the demand for this heterosexual pairing that is the conclusion of the film and that people might view as a kind of message of the film, right? Yes. And that really has larger political ramifications for how we think about gender on screen. Right, because the heterosexual pairing is such a kind of restrictive, Mm -hmm. controlling one, right? Right. And then women are just seen as kind of tools for the pushing of that narrative. Uh, But if you kind of destabilize it and think about these other attractions, you think about how the dancer-actress actually exerts a lot of power. Yeah, I feel like people complain about sort of like marriage plots as as being these kind of like reductive things, especially for like women, that their only goal is to get married. 
Um, but it sounds like, yeah, all of the kind of the skill, the artistry of all of these people working on the, on these films was actually much, much more geared towards the dancing and the talents of mm-hmm. especially these women and not not about kind of what happens to be the end of the film. Like that's just something they have to sort of put right. in to kind of like round things off. <laughs> right. But. And audiences are very canny and smart. And I think they realize that they know how formulaic narrative patterns can be, but really the body that bursts out and beyond that narrative can be read as um, as producing some kind of power. And when I think of Beyonce or Rihanna, I'm thinking about their dancing bodies and how much power it wields. Those kinds of dancing bodies can be put down as just playing to a sexualized gaze, etc. But I think they're really central to producing the feeling we have about the music that these powerful black women are producing and what their bodies are able to say through dance that just the song would not do. Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite Beyonce or Rihanna dance performance that you feel kind of you know shifts the meaning of the the music alone what was the one she did at the super bowl um beyonce beyonce the military kind of formation yeah right formation where she was sort of um she and all of her dancers were in black panther uniforms yes yeah yeah and i thought the bodies were choreographed fantastically also we know that military marches these hyper-masculine demonstrations are also choreographed, but the female body was not choreographed in those ways. Yeah, it's very like hyper-disciplined, very synchronized, Mm -hmm. you know, all these bodies moving in, yeah, sort of military precision. Right, but for an emancipatory message, right? So to take away, to steal those movements, I think is a really powerful mode of dancing. And to think of the Black Panther salute as a gesture that can then become choreographed into a longer dance sequence brings the long histories of Black resistance into dance, right? So uh, we can't just think of these as entertainments. They're really powerful, especially for certain kinds of marginalized bodies. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, what you've been saying all along that like, dancing is not a kind of embellishment of other things that it is sort of meaningful and also I don't know how we look at these artists and these works of art differently when we see dancing as kind of the primary thing Mm -hmm. yes um one question that I wanted to ask um, what famous person that isn't a dancer would you most like to see dance um Maybe Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's important to see political leaders dance. And I think it's for those reasons that I mentioned, that they have this steady narrative of being respectable, of making sense. And I'd like to see some of that just kind of... And maybe he would dance. I mean, maybe he's not entirely like an, a figure you can't imagine dancing um, but yeah, I would think of someone like that. Or actually, the French actress Isabelle Aubert. There's a video clip of her dancing. There is? Okay. It came out like a year ago and everyone was like, oh my God, this is incredible because she's got <laughs> such a kind of ice queen persona Absolutely. that nobody could imagine it. I'll send you the link. Okay, excellent. <laughs> because that will help me make that argument about reframing film acting. She's so well known for her micro gestures, right? She barely moves. Restrained. Yes. Like you were saying. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very different side to mm-hmm. her. Yeah. That's great. Um, 
Usha Aya, thank you very much. Thanks very much. That's it for this episode. For links to books mentioned in our discussion, plus further reading, visit our website, howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also watch a bonus clip in which Usha talks us through a dance sequence featuring Vajinti Mala and then explains its political significance. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at HowToReadNow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening. <laughs>